Hey everyone, how we doing? Hello, hello, hello. How's everyone going today? Welcome back to the sixth, the sixth episode, official new episode, whatever it might be, of Wild. Welcome. Hello. Okay, not going to start with that, I swear. Hi, everyone. So good to see everybody. Uh, the reason I say it's the sixth quote-unquote sort of episode of Wild is I've obviously tried this many times in the past um, until I eventually decided to jump onto the bandwagon of every single human being in the world who thinks that they are remotely interesting and deserves to have a podcast. It actually does get a little bit cringy sometimes. And I know that that sounds awful to say because I have a podcast, but it's just so funny. It's so funny for me to see when just everybody, specifically on LinkedIn, I see that all the time. Someone will just pop up and they'll go, great news, I've started a podcast or, or, or huge announcement, the news you've all been waiting for. I've got some big news. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if you, had a, if you have a podcast. I'm living proof of this. You don't do it because you want to show everybody. You do it because it's fun. You do it because it's nice. Because it's a way to just talk to yourself for a really long time. Right? And then film it. You know, I can watch this back if I make it to like 80 or 90 and I got Alzheimer's. And trust me, I know I'm going to have Alzheimer's because Alzheimer's runs in my family. Badly. When I'm 80, dude, I can look back on this. Be like, oh... That's me. And I can, I can also rewatch Breaking Bad again for the first time, which is going to be sick. I've watched Breaking Bad about four times now, and it's still super good, but it obviously loses its punch. Damn, I remember the first, the first time I ever watched Breaking Bad all the way through. I got into it right as season four was airing. I thought it was amazing. Season five came out like while I was super into it. And they obviously split it up. Like you got that final episode of the first half where Hank sat on the toilet and he picks up this book. And it's the book that Gabe gave Walt. Obviously, dude, who cares about spoiler alert right now? Sorry, one of my cats is pooping in case you hear that sand. That stuff wakes me up in the middle of the night. Bless him. But it was amazing. Do you remember those days? And then it was the countdown to the last episode of Breaking Bad. Man, I woke up in the middle of the night to start torrenting that. Oh, will there ever be a show as good as Breaking Bad again? Something that just gets people so invested. Just brings people together. Like the last time people were brought together that much was during the Pokemon Go days. Do you remember that? For like a week, nothing else happened in the world. Even terrorists were too busy catching Charizards and Pidgeys. Oh, that was that was a pretty cool time. I got really into Pokemon Go as well. I loved Pokemon Go. All I wanted, this is going to sound so nerdy. This might be a bit of a nerdy show, but it's all good. One of the most nerdiest things is I wanted a living Pokédex, okay? A living Pokédex, it's so stupid to say. 
I hope no cool girls are listening to this episode. But I wanted to have one of each of the original 151 Pokemon. And I did. It took me about four years. Four years of playing Pokemon Go every day, every weekend. It was actually kind of sad. When I was like 18, 19, instead of going to parties and things like that, I would take my car on a Friday night, go driving around, park up at this KFC that was like 10 kilometers away from my house because it had three or four pokey stops there. And I would just sit in my car in dangerous South Africa and just play Pokemon Go, just spin these pokey stops the whole time, throw away Pokeballs, do it again, wait for things to spawn, put up a lure. Ugh. And I wonder why girls didn't like me. Yuck. Anyway, it's so good to be back. It's nice to have everybody here. I just came back from a, uh, a fantastic wing place called Wing House. And this weird thing happened that I wanted to tell you guys about. And it's something that I wanted to touch on, which was I'm not drinking alcohol, okay? I have been kind of dabbling in the idea of not drinking alcohol at all, completely stopping it for good. And it's very hard. It's obviously super, super tough because everything social is geared around alcohol. It's very difficult to find events, friends, things to do that are fun when you're not drinking. You can go like paintballing and go-karting and stuff like that, but who wants to spend money on those things every single Saturday? So I'm still trying to be social and hang out with people as much as I can. So I went to this wing place today and I was in the bathroom and there was a guy in a stall next to me and I was busy having a wee. And the next second I just hear this bam. And I was like, whoa. And it was him. And he had fallen down in the thing. And he gets up. And he doesn't even wash his hands. I think about it. I shook his hand. He goes, what's up, bro? I'm so drunk right now, bro. And I was like, oh, good man, good man. And he started telling me about his life. He had just flown into Brisbane from Melbourne. And he was with his work. And they were all going to go out and party and that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, that's sick, dude. That's sick. Nice. You know, what can you say? He was bigger than me. So I was like, sick, dude, cool, yeah, fun. And then I walk out and he kind of follows me and he's still talking and then he grabs me around my neck and he's like, come on, bro, let's go get a drink, bro. And I go, no, nah, man, I'm not drinking. And for some reason, this was so hilarious to him that he's like, what, bro, you're not drinking, bro? Come on, don't be stupid. Come on, I'm going to get you to drink. We're going to have a drink tonight. And it got to the point where I got really, really annoyed and really frustrated. And it's it's something that is so hard to do when you don't drink, okay? And the thing is, it sounds pretty easy to handle, but you do sound like a big-ass bitch. You genuinely do. When you're the only one in a group of 10 people who's not drinking, everybody thinks it's kind of lame, and it is pretty lame. But I genuinely think that drinking alcohol, it's taxing, man. It's hard on your body. It makes you feel and act so unhealthy. Yes, it's boring. A hundred percent. I'll be the first person to admit that it is so boring to not drink. But I feel so much better. In the last 12 months, I've lost 19 kilograms. This is from obviously exercising, but I've been exercising my whole life, even though it doesn't look like it. Exercising, but just not drinking any booze. 
Dude, your body will drop so much weight. You have absolutely no idea. Not in the first month, right? But you do that for six months solid, you'll drop so much. But it's a hard thing to kind of have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. This guy was pushing me so bad. And bless him, he was obviously just trying to be nice, even though it was really annoying. That I eventually said to him, and this is the key. If anybody ever tries to push you to drink, and you really don't want to, you can talk to them until you're blue in the face. They're not going to listen. The only thing you got to say to them is, listen to me, man. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm not. I don't have any sort of issue with booze at all, but it works. You'll see them go from pushy and aggressive and trying to get you to stop being so lame to immediate regret. Apologizing profusely, going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, man. I really didn't know. I'm so sorry. I won't push it. I'm so sorry. Just leave people alone, dude. Leave people alone. Honestly, when I used to work in a bar, there would be people that would come in and they wouldn't drink. It was individuals of the Muslim faith. Obviously, no drinking allowed. Um, and, and think about that, right? If you've got a group of people who come in and they're from a, a faith that is completely against alcohol, some of the bartenders, they take some drinks and they go, oh, nobody's drinking? Come on, guys. And it's like, man, do you really want to have to explain your decisions to some guy who you're just taking and giving a drink order to? Like, is it really worth it in terms of your time? Just leave people alone, dude. You know, I know that in some Asian genetics, there is a predisposition to not being able to, oh, what's the word? Is it like digest or convert alcohol? And some individuals would just get a crazy rash, right? This is true. This is true. I've spoken to, I, I believe I spoke to a Japanese girl about this or a Chinese girl. It was twice. It happened where it was a big group of people who came in and everybody was drinking besides them. And then I was just being like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not really drinking alcohol. This was maybe three, four years ago. I've always tried to cut down as much as I can, but more now so than anything. And I would say, oh, I don't really drink alcohol that much either. Is this like a health thing for you? And then she would go, no, I actually don't have the DNA sequence in me to be able to successfully convert alcohol into the feel-good drug. My body doesn't accept it, it rejects it, and I get sick. I get really nauseous, I get a huge headache, or my skin just breaks out in this bright red rash. And I was like, no way, that's very interesting. So please, if somebody doesn't drink alcohol, just leave them the fuck alone. Let them just do what they wanna do. They're not impeding on you at all. You're not cool by trying to force somebody to consume something that they don't want to. Just go away, leave them be. Anyway, that's me little rant over. I don't even know how long that was, but I'm glad to be back. I'm glad everybody's here. It's pretty late, Saturday 9th of September, 20 past eight. 20 past eight and I'm drinking myself a cup of coffee. You know why I do this for you homies, for you guys, so that I can sit here and talk about some shit that nobody wants to know about. So, a lot has happened this week. I decided that I had a couple of things I wanted to chat about. We're gonna get cracking straight into it. Obviously, I spoke about the Logan Paul versus Dylan Danis situation a few weeks ago. 
Now, for those of you that don't know, this is Dylan Dennis and Logan Paul having a boxing fight. It's coming up. They just had their sort of weigh-in thing where they talk to each other and they yell at each other and they pretend like they're actually these arch nemesises. Do you remember in the, McGre in the McGregor versus Mayweather fight? All this build-up. Crazy build-up. People thought that they hated each other. You know, Connor would, I'm going to slap that bald head. You know, and Floyd would be saying whatever Floyd said. I don't remember. You know, and Connor would uh, make him try and read a book and stuff like that to just make him sound stupid. I really thought that these guys hated each other, right? Do you know that they flew on the same flight? They flew on the same private jet to wherever they would be going to promote this thing. It's all a con. It's all a ploy. Don't buy into it. So we've got, okay, I'm kind of buying into this now. We've got the Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis fight coming up pretty soon. Very excited. To be honest, I think Logan's probably going to win. Just because Logan is massive, right? Is he a great boxer? I don't know. I don't know what makes a good boxer. Bro, I don't know how to fight nobody. Okay? Nobody. I couldn't tell you what a good boxer is if it hit me in the face. Haha. -ha. What a great joke that was. Sorry, it's my cat. They'll probably come and say hi sometime. Got two cats, Muesli and Raisin. They're pretty sick. Muesli, do you wanna come say hi to the nice people? I'll pick her up before this is all finished. Anyway, so they're fighting. Dylan Dennis has been posting all those photos of Logan Paul's fiance, Nina Akdal, on Twitter. She has just gotten a court order. This is true. She has just gotten a court order against Mr. Dylan Dennis, pretty much preventing him from posting any more photos of her online, right? Now, uh, let me think if I want to deliver my opinion about it. To be honest, I don't really have an opinion about this. It doesn't affect me. You know, half of me kind of feels that it's funny to some extent because you know it's fueling the fight and it's making logan look like a bit of a loser you know but to be honest he is picking on this girl and it's like don't do that dude leave her be it's got nothing to do with you what i would have done is i would have kind of gone in a little bit more with uh, the logan paul crypto zoo thing you know him scamming all those people that seems more interesting that can kind of cut right down to the bone you know, I could have picked up on that a lot more, that he's a scammer and all the things that people say Logan Paul has just done just to scam money from his homies. Uh, so people are a little bit worried just in the sense of if she gets a restraining order against Dylan Dennis, it means that the fight would get canceled, right? I don't think the fight's going to get canceled. They're both going to make a bit of cash from this. There's been some buildup. I think that what is going to happen is it's probably going to die down a little bit now in regards to all of the crazy posts and things like that, because now it's like legally involved. But it'll still go ahead. I'm excited for that. I think that's that's gonna be cool. You know, I just don't think that any of those sort of boxing matches are pretty cool anymore. You had Jake in the beginning, Jake and KSI, Logan and KSI, who did those fights and things. That was kind of fun in the beginning, but now it's just every influencer wants to box. I'm only probably only annoyed about this because I know that even if I ever had to blow up, nobody would want to box me. Or people would want to box me just because they know that they'd win. But it's boring, dude. It's the same reason I don't watch 
you know, UFC, those sort of fights. I don't like fights, man. We should all just get along. Hippie days. You know, that's a lot more fun. Anyway, this is stupid. Alrighty, so I wanted to talk a little bit about two things today, right? Maybe three things. Uh, I've got some sort of like nerdy thing I want to go into at the end. But I wanted to tell everybody a little bit of a story. The last time I was in here, I obviously spoke a lot about the worst job I ever had. Oh, the worst jobs I ever had. I played that stupid sales call of the uh, like the angry guy who was all mad at us and, you know, oh, cold calling a bunch of people, thinking you're scammers, whatever it might be. So I thought, why don't I turn it up a little bit? I've had some good jobs in my life. I've had some fun jobs. And my most fun job is something that I wanted to share with you all. So this is going to be a very personal, anecdotal sort of episode. And I like these sorts of things. This is where I can kind of tell you about some of the experiences that I've had in my life and some things that I enjoyed. Sorry, man, this chair just sucks. Oh, I need a new chair. So let's talk a little bit about, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here is a Australian TV show. I think it was started in the UK. I don't know, I don't think it matters. The premise of it is as follows. You've got 10 celebrities who get flung into a, a, a jungle sort of scenario and they all band together and it's all these challenges and competitions trying to figure out who's the toughest. The public gets to vote as to who leaves. So you have to put your best face on and have everybody be likable. And in the end, you get uh, the winner gets like a bunch of cash donated to a charity, which is cool. 100% that's cool. But I thought it'd be interesting because I don't know how many individuals know about the behind the scenes of that, right? I worked on that. So I went to film school. That was my raisin. I'm filming a podcast, sister. She's nuts. Can you chill it out? So I worked on, I'm a celebrity to get me out of here, the Australian version. So I went to film school. That was where I spent three years of my life studying cinematography. And to be honest, it was the most amazing time ever. It was incredible. Just this institution that's just dedicated to creative creation and everybody in there wants to make something unique and everybody in there wants to do something cool. It's awesome. It's this breeding ground for a creative space where everybody can try something fresh and everybody can try something new. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It got to the tail end of my third year. Like our film schools work is you don't write exams. There's no reason for it. Theory is not a big part of making films. Obviously, you've got basic theory, but it's most it's 99% practical. Can you recreate or can you do what needs to be done to make something visually or auditory, if that's a word, appealing? So instead of exams, you would spend six months preparing and shooting and producing and creating and then eventually outputting and distributing a film or any sort of piece of creative media. If you studied in the television department, you make a TV show, you studied in the TV department, in the film department, you would do a movie completely self-created from scratch, brand new concept, if you're an actor, you would then work with either the TV crew or the film crew to make your actor, the, uh, character come to life. 
They also have music departments. I mean, it's so cool. The fact that we have these sort of things now is amazing. And for the right person, it's the perfect breeding ground to step into an amazing creative world to take that through to you for the rest of your life. So it got to the tail end of my third year. I had shot a bunch of movies. They were crap and they eventually got better until it got to the end of my third year. And the movies were really cool. We won some sort of awards in the in the, the, the film space, at least in Johannesburg, where, where this was. And I got really nervous because I had to start making money pretty soon. My mom wanted me out of my house and I had to start earning some cash. So I started going around and just really thinking about where can I make a bit of an impact and how can I make sure that I can build off of the success and start earning money in a couple of months, you know, being able to sustain myself. But you know how it is in the film industry. Nothing, it, it's, it's very unpredictable. And eventually I got a job out of the, just the luckiest break ever, grace of God, to work on a television show called I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. How this works is the UK one, which I think was the first one created, is filmed in Australia. And the Australian one has to be filmed somewhere else, okay? It has to make financial sense, so they film that in South Africa. So I got a job working on that for about two months, and it was so cool. The people I worked with were fantastic. I worked in the camera department. I was a camera assistant. Basically, my day was as follows, right? I'd wake up super early, normally around about 4 a.m., and then you'd have to shit shave shower by 4.30 so that you can get uh, transported to the filming site at five. You've got to be there at five. From five until 5.30, you've got to make sure that all the camera gear is ready to go. Everything is charged, everything is packed up, everything is clean, the lenses are ready, all of the cleaning supplies are, are good, the batteries are all packed up, ready to get going, your walkie-talkies is ready to go. Very, I'd say, admin-based type of deal from 5 until 5.30. From 5.30 until 6, you have to have breakfast because you're not going to eat again until 1 o'clock. And you are on your feet the whole day. Running, carrying heavy gear, taking tons of stuff across like kilometers and kilometers and kilometers of uphill, downhill, sideways mountains. So from 5.30 until 6, you have to have a breakfast. The first day I worked there, I was like, oh, I'll be good. I'll just have some yogurt or something, you know? It's 5.30, bro. You don't want to eat a big breakfast at 5.30. And then 6 o'clock gets, you're grabbing everything and you're running into the forest, right? There's a big camp that they had created and set up that was built. They had demolished a piece of, like, woodlands, you know, try to reuse the trees and whatever and just make it look like it was the self-sustaining little camp area. Now, the celebrities couldn't leave there. Okay, they could only leave there to go to official challenges, escorted out by producers, whatever it might be. But you gotta be filming them, okay? They're constantly surrounded by these camera guys with these big camera lenses, like huge things that they used to film sport. And then anything outside of that would be what my department would have worked on. You know, the challenges, the transportation, any sort of interviews that needed to take place after the actual challenges. But this was the hub, like that, that centralized area was the hub of where all the celebrities would be. 
So from six o'clock, you got to run because anything could happen, right? One of the celebs could be walking to a waterfall and, you know, fall or have an emotional breakdown and you got to be there to capture it. And it was far. It was far away. You know, you had to make the celebs feel that they were isolated and they were alone, right? So six o'clock would hit, you'd grab all your stuff and you'd run into the forest. It was normally about a three kilometer journey on foot. Right? You can't take golf carts or anything like that in there. It's got to be on foot. You're carrying tons of stuff. I would normally carry this heavy industrial gray tripod on my right shoulder. And then in this arm, I'd be carrying our bag of just tons of gear. This was probably about 25 kilograms. And then this would be about 20 kilograms as well. Just dude, I was, I was, I would have gotten so jacked if I did that forever. Right? So you then film from about six o'clock until about half past 12. And that was just, it could be anything, right? You would either have to shoot the celebs being, being sort of like escorted to the waterfall that they had there so they can sit down and talk about some things. And this is what people didn't know is a lot of these things seem to be quite genuine, but at times the producers would just try and incentivize any sort of conversation. They would go to the celebrities and they would you know, say, listen, we need two of these people out here. We need them to talk about their family. And they would just pick two people at random and then escort them out, make them walk through the waterfall. Reason, why are you doing this now? Make them walk to the waterfall and then just say to them, you have to, you have to talk about your families. Talk about like your mom or who you're doing this for or why you're choosing this charity or talk about the hardest thing you ever had to go through, things like that. And then they'd obviously cut it together to make it look all nice and pretty and yada, yada, yada. And then you'd finish, right? You'd, you'd be finished for the morning. You still got to carry all that gear around with you, set it all up, break it down, make sure it's clean. Ooh, it was a ton of work, an absolute, absolute ton of work. Then you got to rush back. Now it's time for lunch. So how it would normally work is Somebody on the crew would get two meals. They would either get breakfast or lunch or lunch and dinner. Or depending on the cycle of when they would work, sometimes you'd have to work through the night, you'd get dinner and breakfast, you know, work through the night. And you get the day off, whatever it might be. But I very quickly realized that the amount of strain that I was putting on my body was insane. Excuse me. Man, so many noises today. It was insane and intense. So whenever you had the chance to eat, you would just eat as much as you possibly can because your body is burning so much fuel. Then you'd film again from about one o'clock until eight. And then you're done for the day, right? Then you can take the stuff, take it back to base camp, break everything down again, clean all the gear, put everything back so that it can charge so that the next morning, everything's ready to go. And you just repeat that cycle. And it was really cool. Okay, it was really cool to see the incredibly high production budget that went into all of this to make sure that logistically this all made sense. Because that was the biggest thing, is logistically all of this had to make sense. It had to be efficient. It had to be fast. There had to be no pauses and everything had to be covered from all angles in terms of visuals so that a show could get delivered the next day or in two days time. So everybody would just be working nonstop. 
And it was amazing. And the reason that it was amazing was because of the things that you'd see. You would be able to go into places and see things that the average tourist or the average person would never see. You know, on my, f my first or second day of shoot, we went onto this huge mountain where we were supposed to just film a guy getting into a helicopter and then being taken down the mountain. And the, the funny shtick of it was that the helicopter drive, the helicopter pilot was super drunk, right? You opened up, like they, they filmed the helicopter landing and the helicopter door would open up and all these empty cans of beer would fall out. Not true. This guy was like the best helicopter pilot in South Africa. They just told him to act drunk. And you'd be on top of this beautiful mountain that like nobody's allowed to go to, but they got special per, uh, special filming permission to go shoot that there. Or you would have something else happen where, you know, you'd be shooting with an elephant, right? And the elephant has to be right next to the celebrities to make it visually interesting. So you'd have to be super close as well. And it's like, bro, I'm right next to an elephant. This is amazing. Every day was something new and something fresh and something different. Truly an amazing experience, right? In terms of like the behind the scenes secrets, to be honest, it is very true to form. You know, the celebrities weren't allowed any outside food. They weren't allowed to communicate with their families. Is there anything that's kind of a secret about it? Probably not. Right? I'd say the biggest thing is that the celebrities used to get sort of like taken in cars to and from shoots. They wouldn't be allowed to get given anything there either. You could kind of talk to them a little bit, but that's about it. And the reason I say celebrities, and excuse me for saying this, but I had no idea who any of these people were. None, right? I don't know, maybe just because I was living in South Africa and it was all these Australian celebrities, but they were all super nice, right? Most of them were, I think. You know, some people would kind of look through you because you were just a camera assistant. They wouldn't really even give you the time of day. There was this one lady, who was it? She was on like, it was like the Bold and the Beautiful or something. Or All My Children. One of those stupid fucking housewife shows. And I said, hi ma'am, how are you doing? And she looked at me and went, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to greet you, my apologies. But it was cool. That was a really, really fun show. And that was a really good job, right? And that's the nice thing about being able to film those sorts of shows. You know, a lot of people would think that working in a studio would be exciting or working in a, like just on a, a copy paste show would be exciting where it all takes place in one spot. I mean, that's cool. But when you're able to travel and see the world and do really unique things, just because you're gonna be behind a camera. That's the beauty of those sorts of aspects. Now, the reason I didn't take that any further, I'll be honest here, is it's tough. It's really, really hard. You know, I came to Australia and very quickly I realized that, you know, I needed to pay rent. I needed to, to start you know, building a bit of a life. And film work pays well, but it's super inconsistent. You know, you have to kind of scrounge around to find whatever work you can until you eventually get to a point where it's stable and the work is ticking over. But it's because of that I've always thought that Top Gear, Top Gear as a program is the most amazing show to be able to work on. You just do such cool shit. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being either Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond, or James May? 
You get taken to the most exotic places in the world. You see things that nobody else will ever see in that combination, ever, 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 ever. You get paid tons of good money for it. You get to drive around on these really either expensive or unique cars. It's sort of what every 14-year-old boy wishes they could do for a living forever. Without a doubt, I do think that the Top Gear guys have the best job in the world. Anyway, that was just something fun I wanted to share. I think my camera switched off again. Anyway, okay, so that was a good little story, right? That was an amazing time in my life. I'll always hold it in a very special place in my heart. And I do envy. I envy the, the individuals that get to kind of do that sort of thing consistently. It's pretty darn amazing. Okay, secondly, something that I wanted to chat about was my experience with cryptocurrency, okay? And the reason I wanted to talk about this was because I recently watched a documentary on FTX, okay? FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried. Bless you, bro. Bless all the good that you've done for humanity and for my bank account and for my wallet. So I got into, let me think, how many times have I been scammed? How many times have I lost money in crypto? Three, okay, and they each get progressively worse. The first time I ever got into crypto was with something called SafeMoon. I had heard about crypto. I had kind of known what it is. This was like 2020, somewhere around, around about those, maybe 2021. I think it was early 2021. I was working at a digital marketing firm and I met a guy called Jack who came in the one day and he was like, bro, I've just made so much money. And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And he started telling me about SafeMoon. And he had this friend that was obsessed with cryptocurrency. And this friend had heard about a coin called SafeMoon. Has anybody ever heard about SafeMoon? I wonder if SafeMoon is even around anymore. SafeMoon is a coin that ended up becoming like a shit coin, right? A shit coin is just a stupid coin that doesn't do anything. And it's not going to be anything. And it's worth like a trillionth of a dollar. Genuinely speaking, you know, so you can buy like 10 bucks worth of worth of safe coin, you've got like a million safe coin. So you immediately think I've made my money. But what had happened with this guy, Jack's friend is Jack had personally bought like $1,000 worth of safe moon. And it like quadrupled, right? He made like three grand in a day. But his friend saw incredible potential in safe coin and put in like 10 grand. And this guy was just making money hand over fist. He he went from like putting in 10 grand, which is obviously a huge risk, to, sorry, I live in a shitty neighborhood. <laughs> he got like 50 grand in a day, right? Insane returns. And then I found out about it, okay? And I was like, dude, I, I got to get in on this. You got to show me how to do it. And I set it all up and I figured out how to buy it because you couldn't even buy it on just like a straight up Binance referral thing. You had to do it through PancakeSwap, I think it was. You know, really sort of like backwards shitcoin style stuff. And I ended up putting in 200 bucks, $200 worth of SafeMoon. 
And I was like, sick, bro, sick. 200 bucks with a safe moon. And that was a lot of money to me back then. And over the course of about three or four days, my $200 shot up to about two grand, if not more than that. I could not believe how much money I was making. It was just insane. And everybody was like, bro, this is, you like, take some out now. And I was like, no way, this is gonna be my retirement fund. This is it. And I had the potential to take the money out. I think it got at its peak to like two and a half grand. And then lo and behold, so think about Jack's friend, right? Jack's friend made a ton of cash, generally a ton of cash. He was thinking about buying a Lamborghini. What if he ever did? I would have. On a 10 grand investment, dude, at least take out your 10 grand. Just let the rest just fly, baby. So my, my safe moon shot up and I just didn't want to take it out. I was like, no, man, I'm going to do one of those things where I'm going to buy a shit coin. That was my strategy. I'm going to buy a shit coin and it's going to get huge and it's going to only get huge in like 10 years time, but then I'll retire, right? That real sort of stupid boy shit. Lo and behold, over the course of another two weeks, my safe moon fell from two and a half grand back down to like 400. And I was like, ugh, should have taken it out. But I didn't, okay? So technically I lost money, but not really, okay? But this will delve into my next thing. So that's the first time. The second time follows up on this, okay? I then started taking crypto seriously, if I can put it that way. And I thought, sick, let me just do something with this, okay? And I kept on buying more safe moon and then i thought let me diversify my portfolio and i bought something called yummy coin you guys ever heard of yummy coin yummy coin is an interesting one yummy coin was a concept that was introduced where for every certain amount of coins that would get uh, bought the same amount would get burnt okay and burning just limits the supply there's obviously a set amount of coins and when they burn a set amount then the uh, publicly available amount of coins gets more expensive and more rare and more difficult to obtain because there's now more of a, so, uh, less of a supply, okay? For every a certain amount of coins that would get burnt, they would donate a meal, a meal to an impoverished, impoverished child in the world, you know, like an orphan something like that or just somebody in like a third world country and i thought that's so cool bro everybody's gonna get up on this shit so i decided this is gonna be my coin let us take a chance let us turn up the beat and i probably bought about 200 dollars again worth of yummy coin i started seeing jake paul tweet about it which is what prompted me to buy I do realize that if I'm taking financial advice from Jake Paul, then maybe I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I mean, he is rich. He must be doing something right. Anyway, so my yummy started getting more yummy, right? The price just started going up. I remember being in gym and every couple of minutes, I just gone to the app and the, the, the coin would just have shot up another 20%. 
right? In, a, in the space of about two hours, it went from 200 bucks to 400 bucks. And then again, from 400 bucks to 800 bucks, like in the next six hours. And I was like, bro, this is insane. I should be putting in more. And I did, I kept on adding more and more and more and more until eventually I had about four grand worth of yummy coin, okay? With maybe 10% of that being my actual investment, the rest of it was just straight up the coin going through the roof. And one of my friends said to me, bro, that's an incredible return. That's 10 times your money. Pull it out now, you know, take the winnings. And same thing, I said, no way, bro. This is my jam. This is gonna be enormous. This is what's gonna allow me to buy a house this year. <sighs> and then lo and behold, the yummy started falling a little bit. So I was like, okay, maybe they're right. I'm gonna take out my yummy coin. So I still had my safe moon. My safe moon was worth like 400 bucks. My yummy coin was starting to deplete. And I was like, should I transfer it? You know what? No, I'm gonna stick it out. And then a week later, my yummy coin had fallen from like three and a half grand at that point to about 30 bucks. It was a major rug pull. And I was like, man, nothing ever goes my way. I was incredibly, incredibly disappointed. And then I thought, you know what? Let me just try and pull everything out at this point. So the first thing I wanted to do was transfer my yummy coin into, I don't know, exchange. I didn't even know how to do those sort of things anymore. And I did it, but nothing worked. And I was like, okay. What do I do now? This isn't working. So I went on to, on to Telegram and there was like a yummy group. And like a moron, I sent a message and they're going, hello everybody, I'm trying to pull out my yummy coin, but for some reason there's some sort of issue, can someone help me? And the very first message I got was just from somebody who had the yummy image as their profile picture. And it just said crypto support. And they contacted me and they went, Hello, Sheldon, are you having trouble with your yummy? And I thought that they were legit. And I said, yes, I am. Can you please help me? And I said, great. All that we need from you is just this phrase, which is your seed phrase. And without thinking about it for more than 20 seconds, I sent it to them. I linked my account to theirs by giving them my seed phrase. And as soon as I sent it, I went, is this a scam? Are they about to milk all of my cash? And I took a screenshot of the chat. I posted it into that same Telegram group. And I went, excuse me, is this a scam, guys? And everybody responds with, of course, that's a scam. How stupid could you be to not think that that is a scam? And as soon as I went back into my wallet, everything was gone including my safe moon. That was the bulk of whatever they stole. So all in all, that was about $800 worth of crypto. Gone, vanished forever. My own idiocy, I was messaging the scammer and I was saying things like, you should be so ashamed of yourself. What's wrong with you? And you know, they just thought it was funny, which enraged me even more. And it was at that point where I thought, you know what, maybe crypto is not for me. But then something happened. I was working with this guy by the name of Gareth. He's the same dude from that sales call. And he had a crypto group 
a crypto group where you would pay something like a hundred dollars a month and you get access to this internal crypto group where you can get insider information as to what coins are going to do what and they're smart like they're smart guys but crypto is unpredictable man if it wasn't unpre if it, it's all based around like news and shit right if it was predictable everybody would be rich so at least they tried bless them but they were hosting this competition for a thousand dollars to get placed into your crypto wallet to buy something and gareth was like bro can you just enter it so we can get some engagement on my post i entered it and lo and behold i won i won a thousand dollars that's a lot of cash right and i was blown away i thought this is a sign from above i'm going to put all of this into a coin and i'm going to be safe with it this time all right so i spoke to him and i was like bro where can i put this where i can leave it for a really long time not touch it i try to trade with some coins in the beginning you know bet on like shorts and longs and that sort of stuff but i just i couldn't figure that shit out i really wasn't smart enough so i said what where can i put my money where can i put some where can i buy some coins i started researching as to what coins i thought would be big and polygon popped up polygon is like one three hundredth of the carbon emission of a bitcoin or a ethereum whatever it would be disney and mercedes was at that time looking to use polygon the actual polygon blockchain to create their future meta products on so i thought this is going to be big eventually and i still think it is i should actually get more and I said to him, how can I get this coin? And he said, bro, download FTX. Download FTX. You'll be able to keep it safe on FTX and just watch it grow. And that's what I did. I downloaded FTX and I kept all of my coins on there for a really, really long time. And I think I had like 800 and something and it did, it did grow, it did get bigger. And then maybe three days before FTX completely collapsed. I really wanted to have a thousand. I thought, let me just get to a thousand FTX tokens. I mean, um, a thousand Polygon tokens, just so that it's there. And I'll be able to do the maths really quick in my head. And I probably invested like another $400 of my own money to get it there. And then boof, lo and behold, FTX completely collapses two days later. All that money was gone. I tried to pull it out and I contacted everybody that I could, but maybe I should consider myself lucky. People lost billions, billions. You know, there's people who had 60, 70, $80,000 on there. You know, just of what we know, there's definitely people that had a lot more. Because FTX was considered the safe one, right? The good one, the ethical one. And good old Sam Bankman-Fried fucks it up again. I don't even know if he's in jail. I think he's on like house arrest in his parents' fancy ass, rich, stupid Malibu home. Damn it, bro. Why'd you do that to me? Anyway, so I'm gonna take a step back from crypto I don't think it's for me. You know, I think everybody just wanted to kind of like jump on that bandwagon of get rich quick. I did meet a guy once that had gotten really rich off of Bitcoin. 
But you know what the difference between him and like someone like me was? Is he bought $3,000 worth of Bitcoin in like 2011. But he was rich, came from a rich family. So he was able to buy that and then literally just forget about it. Dude, if I had three grand sitting anywhere, I would check on it twice a day to make sure it was still there. You know? This dude had so much Bitcoin and forgot about it until it started getting into the news. And then he sold it. And he made like 13, 14, 15 million dollars. Now he just travels the world. God has his favorites. Okay, last thing. This was something that I've been wanting to do for a little bit. And I thought it could be kind of cool. Okay, watch this. So what we're looking at here is the 10 most expensive limited edition pre-orders of all time. Obviously how this works is in terms of video games, you're able to pre-order shit. I don't necessarily pre-order games because it doesn't really make sense. You know, you're just kind of committing to buying something that's not finished. Don't do that. But there's been some interesting packages that have come out over the last 20 years in regards to video game editions that have been super expensive to pre-order. It's not just the case if you go in and you put down 20 bucks saying when the game comes out, I'll, I'll buy the rest. This is expensive pre-orders, the most expensive. I thought this could be kind of cool to run through. I don't know, maybe it's boring, you tell me. So let's start. Ooh, ads, sick. What's this? Kingdom of Amular, signature edition. I've never heard of that. This copy came with a rare troll statue, art prints, a map of the game world, the game's soundtrack, a set of cards and dice. Boring. That's not the sort of shit I wanted to read about. Middle Earth Shadow of War Mithral Edition. I wonder if Shadow of War is any good. I don't like Lord of the Rings though. I really don't. I, I, I watched, I've watched the Lord of the Rings franchise twice. Both once was in school because I had to. And then the second time was because somebody said to me, it's the best film series of all time. Give it another shot. It's bullshit. What about this? I should be like Googling these things, man. These things look, you can't just, you can't tell what it is. Okay, let's see. Shadow of War, Mithral Edition. What did it come with? You can still buy it at least. Wow, look at the quality on this. Okay, look at that statue. That's kind of cool, right? Dude, if you ever bring a girl home and you got this stupid thing in your house, guaranteed she's leaving straight away. <laughs> it's so nerdy. Okay, what else we got? Dirt 3. Oh, I think, do I remember this? So Dirt 3 is some sort of racing game. It comes with an RC car. Oh, wow. The RC car is actually the same car that's featured on the box art for the game. I mean, that's kind of cool, right? Hey, listen. It's cooler than a statue, bros. Look at that little thing. Oh, it's fine, bro. It's 300 bucks. No way. You can go to 
Walmart. You can go to Kmart and get one just like that for like 12 bucks. Anyways, let's get to the more expensive stuff. This stuff's stupid. Unveiled edition of Resident Evil. A BSAA watch and card case. I don't know what that is. I don't care. Assassin's Creed Origins. Oh, I think I've seen this. Yeah, it's all just figurines, dude. It's like once you start getting to the figurines, it's like, come on. That's kind of boring. Dark Souls 3 Prestige Edition. It came in a metal case. Soundtrack. Bro, who would listen to a video game soundtrack? Art book, cloth map of the game, a Lord of Cinder figurine. Okay. Okay, you see, here we start getting into some expansive stuff, Dag. $1,300. Let's see what this is all about. Oh, this came with a replica of Leon Kennedy's in-game jacket. How cool was this jacket, dude? <laughs> okay. Very cool. Where, where's the actual jacket, though? You don't see any photos of it. Is it that? Oh, dude, it's just a jacket, my dog. There it is. Look at that cool jacket, dude. Ugh. You look like a biker who's just sort of like bought his first bike. Dude, if I had to buy, if you buy a motorcycle, how do you get into a motorcycle gang? I'd be way too scared to go up to any of those guys. Can I join your club? Okay, look at this. Okay, this is, you see, this is a huge jump. This is where it goes from being like, it, this is not cool. I'm sorry. It's really not cool. But this is where it just starts getting stupid. You get a real car. A real car with this game. This is like just, you know. Saudi Arabian Prince shit. We can get a full ass car with this thing. It even comes with a fella. It comes with a white guy. Make him fucking do your taxes and shit. Okay, we're almost done. Dying light, my apocalypse, 250,000 euros. <laughs> okay. This order would get fans real-life parkour lessons, a custom-built zombie-proof shelter, multiple signed copies of the game, <laughs> pairs of high-end headphones, a trip, a pair of night vision goggles, adult diapers, a life-size figurine of one of the games infected, and your face in the game. Dude, that's kind of cool. Alright, that is pretty cool. You're going to be in the game, you get a life-size figurine, adult fucking diapers. Like, that's sick. I like the zombie-proof shelter. But they come and they build for you. Real-life parkour lessons. You're just a fat ass. You really don't want that. You go, can I have everything else but those ones? And here's the most expensive. The most expensive video game pre-order of all time. Saints Row 4. Super dangerous wad wad edition. Let's see. I think this is just sort of ex exclusive for exclusivity's sake. Or expensive for expensive sake. One of the most uh, actual trip, you bastard. Are you joking? As soon as I get into it, dude. Does anybody want to buy a Hyundai? How do I get out? <laughs> dude, as soon as I get the most expensive one, too. Alrighty. Super dangerous Wad Wad edition. 
It comes with the following. An actual trip to outer space. Mm, a bit silly, you know, but still unique. More trips, spy training, a hostage rescue experience, a Lamborghini Gallardo, a Toyota Prius, a full-size replica dubstep gun, pl plastic surgery, <laughs> a personal shopper, and a <laughs> one copy of the game. Hey, you know what? I think that it's obviously just outrageous for outrageous sake. I'd be interested in the plastic surgery though. Here we go, everything's actually broken down piece by piece. You get a lower body lift. Oh, they're just breaking down the actual stuff in terms of like how much it's actually costing. Hey, you know what? You can read through that shit if you want to. I think it's kind of interesting. Would I get it? I don't got no million dollars. Anyway, everybody, thank you for joining me for another amazing episode of Wild. I don't know how long's left on my stupid camera. It only films for half an hour, then I've got to restart it. But it's been fantastic. I hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. I just wanted to talk to my homies. Keep on supporting this channel. Keep up the love. And I will see you all on the next one. I got my prank calls coming next week too. So... Watch out for those. Bye.